This is Not Another Church Podcast with your host, Pastor Tom. All right, we're at North Glencoe Baptist Church. I'm here today with... Hey, everybody. My name's Donna. I am the Women's and Children's Minister here at North Glencoe. And I am Matt, and I am the student pastor here at North Glencoe. And so this is Not Another Church Podcast, and today we are going to be... Uh, picking up where we left off, we're doing uh, kind of flannel graph for adults, and we're walking through those stories that you heard in Sunday school and in VBS and Children's Church, and we're, we're maybe going a little bit deeper, dealing with some of the issues that maybe you kind of had to gloss over. <laughs> Last yeah. week, we Ooh. talked about Sodom and Gomorrah, and uh, I, as I recall, um, and I can picture the flannel graph from, for Sodom and Gomorrah, I don't think that one could be reused a whole lot. No, no. Yeah. No. I, <laughs> the fireball's coming down. Yeah, I can yeah. picture it in my mind. Yeah, it's not meant, the same as Peter being ask, the same I, as... I meant to ask last week, is, can you still go to where, like, Sodom and Gomorrah was? I, I looked it up, and there were, like, these weird archaeological archaeological things about it. Like, there were these, like, all this limestone, like, calcium buildup on these, like, that would that would leave, like, a, some sort of burnt residue. Right, on, sulfur. Yeah, so yeah, that kind, all that kind of stuff, all these different residues stuff. Like, and then there'd be like these um, houses or like small. I say houses, like small uh, cu- opening cuts <laughs> a out. Little into, development. Yeah, yeah. So these <laughs> small like cutouts, open cutouts, like into mountains and stuff. And, I, and they're like, this is where Sodom and Gomorrah was, or allegedly was. So it was, it was, it was kind of cool. I went, I probably watched, I probably got an hour or two into into a rabbit hole about it on YouTube. So after last week, so I meant to ask that last week and I didn't. Yeah, um, if you. There's been some recent archaeology that they think they've identified uh, some cities that that ha- were um, severely severely destroyed, and the mm-hmm. thinking is is that several hundred miles away, a volcano would have erupted that what lava might have gotten into some sulfur deposits near the volcano, which would have blown uh, molten rock and and. Um, sulfur, yeah. burning sulfur, yeah. uh, up into the air, and it would have dropped in the area. And so, yeah, there, there's some some archaeology. I think that some of that may be uh, wishful thinking on the part yeah, of yeah, evangelicals yeah. and not being an archaeologist and just reading in. Um, there's a great uh, website called biblicalarchaeology.com that's actually very scientific in the way right. that they look at it. They kind of, I mean, yeah, it could be. Um, <laughs> I, I like kind of trying to find out, like, when we talk about these places, if there's, like, you can go find not things to, not sources to, to back up that the Bible is true, but to say, hey, this... This this is what happened. This was a place. This is that I, when I can go see like pictures or or graphs or drawings or whatever or real life today archaeological evidence or what could be. I'm like, okay, I can buy into this. This is I can see how. Okay, cool. I can I can rock with this. It looks, it looks like there's a 2013 article on that website that you mentioned, Biblical Archaeology, that's discussing it. So there you go. Look at that. Uh, and this, so this part of the podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at <laughs> BiblicalArchaeology.com. <laughs> BiblicallyArchaeology.com for all of your biblical archaeology needs. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and, and I will say that uh, normal, and for most of my life, whenever the opportunity has come up to go to the Holy Land, I've always kind of thought in my mind, um, yeah, I don't really have time for for Christian tourism and I, or, you know, our Christian Hodge. Um, but I really did enjoy. Like Christian Hodge? Yeah, like the, the Hodge that. Like uh, Hodge like crafts. Okay, gotcha. No, the, the uh, uh, Muslims all have to go to Hajj. They uh-huh. have to go to, um, to um, Mecca. Mecca. Oh, okay. In their okay, lifetime, okay. that's okay. called the okay. Hajj. Okay. If you, in fact, if you're a Muslim who's gone on that, you're called a Hajji. Mm-hmm. Um, and okay. so. Actually, a lot of the Muslims in Turkey thought that Ephesus was the Christian Hajj because so much of their tourism around seven church tours, and Ephesus has the best ruins, and so that was kind of where all those seven church, the seven churches in the book of Revelation tours ended at Ephesus, because that was always the coolest one, because the main thoroughfare that led into Ephesus, you could kind of walk down that and... um, 
a lot, a lot angels of angels sing and they yeah, have I mean, music. It's one like of the things about Cinderella's just, Palace, it's like the Jesus <laughs> Museum. It's like the Jesus Museum in Pigeon Forge. Yes, yes. <laughs> there's this big mural of Jesus and all these buses parked down there. And, and there's a lot of extra biblical stuff that that they that the the tour guides try to throw you on. And I think I told you about the uh, tilapia Jesus fish in Ephesus uh-huh. that supposedly Mary had raised these fish, and so oh, I'd forgotten about th- that. There's yes. essentially these big. Uh, Roman era uh, ponds that are, you know, they're they're marbled in, so they're mm-hmm. they look man made, but they're actually ponds, and they're full. Of fi- I mean, when I say full, it's like when you you pay five dollars for a handful of fish feed and you throw it in there, it's like the water boils. There's so many fish in there, <laughs> and they're holy fish because the the first fingerlings were put there some miraculous way by Mary, and <laughs> is the thing, and, and and so everything's that way. Like at the at the River of Jordan, um, there was a uh, a smoothie stand. Like right there, and I, if you go on uh, Google reviews, uh, I I actually wrote a review and said this is the smoothie stand that Jesus went to after his baptism. Um, but and then there's lots of and, and you know there you're, there's probably ten places in Jerusalem that advertise as the upper room. And you're like, there, there ain't no way that that house is still there. <laughs> and this particular house was clearly built in like 1930, and you're calling it the upper room. That's reborn. <laughs> they, well, they've just remodeled. <laughs> they got they got games to come in. Yeah, they got you, it's got a little magnolia, <laughs> little magnolia spice to it. It's got some. Uh, it's got some shiplap. 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 Totally yes. got shiplap. Yes. shiplap. They put in some sliding doors yes. in an island <laughs> <laughs> in the upper room. Recess lighting. That's right. Put some can lighting in. Yes. <laughs> so um, yeah, and so that makes some of it feel kind of cheesy. But I will say, like. <laughs> Uh, I still think that there would be some really reverent and cool, like really like breathtaking moments in, yeah, in, in some of yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Magdala, which is where Mary Magdalene is from, yeah, yeah. is nothing but an archaeological dig, at least two, three years ago when I was there. Mm-hmm. That was really cool because you didn't have all the touristy stuff. It was just, you know, there was like a tent set up from, I think, University of Oklahoma has a big archaeology department. And then, and, and so these universities are there being given different grids by the 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 bureau of antiquities and and that's all it was Mm. and so that was really cool to me because you got to kind of see how people lived you could kind of picture okay this is how the houses were all crammed together and so in my mind i'm thinking of jesus talking about how the guy had the neighbor that came to him in the middle of the, or a visitor from the middle of the night and Jesus is the guy's like hey man let me get some bread and it's like hey, everybody's going to bed well you can see how close the houses are together yeah. and how that would be everybody's like shh shh it's right it's like yeah. my kids have gone to bed will you shut up like, and, like there's six other neighbors say will you please shut up give him some bread <laughs> <laughs> yes yes I, 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 I will never forget the first time I was walking down the street in New York and somebody these two people are in an argument and somebody from the upper floor yelled some vulgarities and like shut <laughs> Up. And I'm like, oh, this is like I'm getting experience for real. <laughs> it's not just on TV. Yes. All right. So we actually have a lesson today. So the first thing is, is Giggles is born. Isaac is born. Uh, Giggles is born. So Isaac, as we know, means laughter. And so it says, the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Isaac, as we know, means he laughs. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred when his son Isaac was born. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, "Uh, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And so here Isaac is born. Uh, Abraham is a hundred... Abraham's wife, Sarah, would be 90 because she's 10 years younger than him. Um, and so God had, now, now we got to remember that God had told Abraham when he tried to say, God, I've adopted Lot. He can be my heir. That God said, nope, you're going to have a son from, uh, well, you're going to have a son and he is going to be the child of promise. And then after the whole debacle with um, Hagar and Ishmael, 
God said, no, you're going to have a son by Sarah who's going to be the child of promise. That's the one that is going to be blessed the way that I told you. And so, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So, there's some confusion here. There's some questions that I, I have. If, if, if an angel came to me tomorrow and said, hey, Biggin, I want you to take William out and shoot him in the head. I could know that that angel is not from God because I have in the Bible specific verses telling me not to shoot my son in the head. And so uh, if there's any contradiction, so what in the world, why is God? Why is he asking for human sacrifice? Why is he asking for human sacrifice here? What is going on? What do y'all think? <laughs> yeah, if y'all could just go ahead and unpack Matt, that. I'll let you go first. Thank you. <laughs> Why I, why I don't know, and I don't want to speculate. But what I know, I can say from inter- from from how I would. I mean, if you, if that happened today, you ha- you have no clue. And, and just like I don't know if it's one of those things that we can just generally categorize under. Well, God knows, and I don't, which is you know honestly kind of like it's our a certain. Cert- cert- I mean, I mean that's a, the way we jump well, out of that. Well, that's kind of the answer to everything. Say, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what I'm going to. I mean, like like eighty percent of all of, of all of all of my faith is well. He knows not on anyway, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna rock with it, you know. And yeah, I do know how how all of how how we would experience all of the emotions, all of the frustration. Like, hold on, like I I just now got I, I just now saw the whole plan through clearly of what you actually wanted to happen because it wasn't Lot and it wasn't Ishmael and it was Sarah and it is Isaac and but now I, I and I've been waiting how many years? Yeah, and we've waited. Yeah. we've waited forever. We've had him for this many amount of years at this point. However old he is at at, at this point, so we've it, it's been an amount of time and you've experienced and you've gotten a schedule and you've gotten to spend time with your son that you love and care about. And then it's like, oh, hold on. And, and, well, yeah. and I think of like in my own life of, of times where, okay, God, I, I got you. I'm, we're, on the, we're, we're on the same page. We're, we're, we're on the same wavelength. Like I'm, I'm getting it. I'm, I, I, I'm serving where you want me to serve. I'm, my, my family, I'm leading my family the way you want me to lead. I'm doing what your, what your word tells me to do. I'm living the way uh, that, that Christ showed us to live. And, and we're, we're attending church. We're giving. We're serving. We're loving. We're sacrificing. We're doing all these things. And then something drastic or even small, something completely throws you off that path. And you're like, a diagnosis, you're like, a job loss. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, well, God, hold on a second. Like this isn't, I've been doing all the stuff you told me to do. I don't understand. Why is this? Yeah. But see, for, for me, this one even steps up even further because he's asking not just for, um, Okay, so I could start with the broad topic of human sacrificing cultures at that time. The things that got that Abraham has been called away from and called out separate and and two and then now he's walking through and God is asking for an actual human sacrifice of him. How do, how do we in my mind in this story I have find that I have a hard time separating and walking away from I know the end. We know we look at it and we know what happens. We know the picture that is painted. We know what God teaches through this particular time to Abraham and and his descendants. And um, I I find I have a hard time separating those things because I can't go back and hit that mindset that Abraham must have had when this happened without knowing the end. Yeah, it's going to it's going to I mean, I know it works out. Yeah. And and that's kind of and not only does it work out, we know that this is a unbelievably profound picture of what's going to happen oh, yeah. 3,000 years the later. Sure. going to give For his sure. Yes, yeah. Uh, but, okay, so first of all, before we move on, so I don't forget, Abraham didn't have the Bible to go to. Right. And so we have this this idea of, of progressive revelation that Abraham is learning who God is. True. Okay, so I, I just want to Stamp that out before we go any further, because if I don't, I'll forget it. And Which then... is such a cool thing, by the way. Like that—that's such a cool thing. Uh, in a, now, in a, it, it's kind of a—it kind of stinks in a way that he didn't have the Bible and the totality of everything that's going to happen over over God writing His story uh, with His people and whatnot. But, but to, there is some truth that has been passed down. Yeah, we yeah, know yeah. that from Adam and Eve, these descendants have come. But to have that. 
that way of communication where like which we still have but just to ha- like you however that worked to hear the voice of god telling me hey this is what you got to do this angel showing up and saying this is what this is do this next and and just to hear that to progressively get to know god as it as it's going along and i'm like man i i, I want that for my own heart even even on today even in today with scripture and whatnot like i like just hearing that is like man man you got to check yourself to make sure you're doing that now you know like you've got to yeah. make sure that you're checking that you're walking in stride to know god to know jesus to know them fully and to live in the fullness of who they are and making making sure that i'm doing that now like that i could i could we could go on that on that forever that's pretty cool in and of itself well and i think i think we'll see that that's kind of one of the one of the things that we're gonna we're gonna see in this but I, again i want to before we go any further i wanted to to lay out the fact that abraham doesn't have the law yet saying Correct. thou shall not murder right and so but it, it's just a free-for-all <laughs> i mean you know is is there no law on the heart though from God? That, no, that no. We we, he's under. He would be Abraham at this point would be under the noetic covenant, right? And so there is don't murder, right? Uh, but God's the one who said to do that to Noah, and so Abraham would. So he breaks his own. Right. He, he's if anybody can break the law, he can. And he he's the what we find out in Hebrews chapter eleven is, okay. Now think about what's going on. Well, first of all, before we even do any of that, how old is Isaac? How old do you think he is? <laughs> Twelve. Okay. Donna? Early 20s. All right. So, first of all, the text doesn't say. Right. But uh, Jewish tradition is that he's 37. Really? Uh, That's the rabbinical Jewish tradition. Most Christian commentators throughout Christendom have said again, not in biblical. his 20s. Not, yeah. not biblical. Yeah. Rabbinical tradition is he's, so in the flannel graph, he's a kid. Yeah, he was nine. Right. He's a kid. So here he is. He's an adult. Uh, whether he's 20 or he's 37, we're not we're not dealing with some child who. So Abraham knows that this is the child of promise. So all of the the think about how the fact that for what now 40 years of Abraham's life he's been you're going to be blessed. It's going to be through a son, and slowly God kind of unveiled. It's not just going to be your child. It's going to be a son. It's not just going to be a son. It's going to be a son from. Sarah, this is him. Which speaks to the covenant of marriage. Right. And so we're <laughs> we're slowly, we've tightened in to the point that in Hebrews chapter 11, where the re- reader here gives us a little insight into what Abraham is thinking, it says, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, echoing what we read in Genesis, this is all God said, I'm going to test Abraham, offered up to Isaac who he had received, the promise was in the act of offering off his son, um, whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So Abraham knows this is the child of promise. Like you said, finally... It wasn't that there was another child coming. There's not another child coming. And, and there are other children. We After Sarah dies, Abraham gets more wives and has more kids. Isaac is the God-ordained, God-spoken, specific child of promise. Now, again, he's been going through this for at least 40 years that we know of. Yeah. It, wouldn't it be easy to for him to worship God for what he's done? And I think one of the tests here is, are you following me for what I'm able to give you, or are you following me for me? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like, I don't want to answer that question. Well, and I will say Can this, you move right along? When, when, when I was um, in my teens, I noticed uh, growing up at White's Chapel, that it was fairly regular for there to be an emotional altar call salvation experience from alcoholics and drug addicts Yeah, because our church ministered to, to, to that group of people a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brother Philip even had a roofing company that he ran where those people could come to the church. Uh, if they, if they um, started making changes to their life, he would help them f- learn a trade, get work. It was, we had trailers behind the church where these guys lived. It was like a whole thing. And so when I'm 13, 14 years old, I noticed that there was this kind of cycle that would happen where a guy would show up, he would have an emotional thing, everybody in the church would celebrate, he got saved, I'm air quoting, maybe stays clean for three months, starts showing up at church with a heavy tan because he's roofing, um, 
and then something would happen and he would he'd fall off the wagon. Mm-hmm. I, I, multiple times he before before the church they would ask the guy would ask for forgiveness. So you think okay, so he, he slept, and then they slowly go go back into that lifestyle, and then they disappear, and you never see them again. Seemed to be a fairly normal thing, and yeah. so I started questioning. How, I mean, it actually made me start questioning my own faith. Or if these guys are able to fall away from their faith that quickly, I mean, it was like three to four months. You could almost map it out. Um, I've, we've seen that in this church. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, we could <clears throat> all think of somewhere where we've seen, seen yeah. that. I could right now just start naming some names where, uh, yeah, and you'll, those people, maybe every couple of years, they'll get out of jail or they'll something will happen in their life and they'll cycle back through. Um, and I think that we never should stop ministering to people because Lord knows um, I'm that, that prodigal son who uh, keeps getting my ticket punch where I got to go back out kind of thing. I'm, I'm with you. I think that if we approach God, though, and we're approaching God because, okay, I want to get saved because I need some money. I need a job. I need a job. I want custody. I need clean. I need to get clean. Yeah. I need need God because I need health in my life. I've I've just found out that I got the big C. I need God because my marriage is falling apart. I need God because uh, I want to be straight. And society's not, especially in the South, not going to accept me if if I'm if I'm gay. I need I I need a social circle. I need you know if it's in uh, whatever community and go into a church or go into that that. I'm getting air quotes. That particular church is that that's where all the rich folks go. That's where all the power. I need to be. I got. I need to. They need to see me. They need to see my face on Sundays, etc., etc. You know, and there's this, and there's a growing thing now. I think in a lot of, again, air quotes, mainstream churches. There's there's this whole phrase called breakthrough. I don't know what that is or what that's defined as, but I need. I need. I'm going to church because I'm waiting for a breakthrough. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. For, I'm waiting for my breakthrough. I'm waiting for this to happen, and and I'm going to keep going until that happens. There's so much to unpack there, but we're but all of that going to say we're coming for something. We're we are we are coming solely for to get something at the buffet that got that Jesus is sitting there just scooping blessings out. Okay. Okay. But isn't that a place where we can start? Don't we see what discipleship does is sanctification goes through the process that people start. Sometimes it's with fear or a terrible diagnosis or um, a need of something in their life that, that, that we can meet, whether it's food that we do food benevolence or money for your power bill, whatever it is that draws you in. Can God use those tools? And then we take them and begin to decide disciple them and to teach them and so that they begin to understand who God is. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I think that can be a starting point. In fact, I think in all of our hearts, whether we came to God because we didn't want to go to hell, right? Yeah. and ultimately we're saying, God, I, I don't want to go to hell. I, I think that the, the important difference is, is that we're not coming to God for money, for straightness, for, but we're coming to God for God mm-hmm. and that we early on and realize that if I'm coming to God because I need some money, then money's my God, not God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. If I'm coming to God for straightness, then social acceptance for my sexuality is my God, not God. If I'm coming to God and, and calling on him because I want to be clean. And you know what? I've seen the desperation it, it, every, every time that this happened, this reminds me of Isaac and Jacob, or uh, not Isaac and Jacob, but, um, Isaac's kids, the redhead and the Esau. Esau. That's stinking. That's stinking redhead. You know, redheads don't have a soul. They're very hairy, I hear. So it it, um, it amazes me how how often I've seen someone who, on Sunday evening, just says, "I want nothing more than to be done with." Or insert drug of truck, drug of choice, but I'm just going to pick heroin. I, I just, I, I never want to. I, I hate it. It's destroyed my life. I, I've lost my job. I've lost my family. I never ever want to touch that again. Please pray for me that I don't. And I'll pray with them. And then Monday night they call me high as a kite. I've had that happen at this church hundreds of times, literally hundreds of times. Um, and. and, and 
I think that the issue in real repentance is is that you're walking away from something. It's a heart and then an action thing. And so that's why God is coming to Abraham with an action-based thing. Repentance is that turning and moving away. It's saying, denying ourselves and saying yes to God. I remember I had a VBS teacher, because obviously you did in, in vacation Bible school, you did, you know, admit, believe, confess. And at some point, mm-hmm. one of the days you focused on repenting. Like that's just what Lifeway and essentially every vacation Bible school curriculum ever, you focus on repenting, which is a fantastic thing to teach to kids. But when I was probably maybe fifth or sixth grade, and I actually, I specifically remember a teacher teaching about repentance that night and explaining that. And I don't know what I thought repentance was before. I guess I just thought it meant stop, stop sinning. I'm I'm sorry, you know, but then when I heard them say that it's a complete 180, I, it's a complete back turn. Like I, my, it, I, I'm not looking at it. I am not only turning my back to it. I am sprinting the other direction, and that's how I was. I, that's how I remember them explaining it. And I was like, okay, that I'm not doing that. I'm, I am <laughs> <laughs> with with the issues in my Wait. fifth and sixth grade life. Yeah. I'm not doing that. Yeah. I'm saying, oh, they're right there, but I, I can't do that. Mom and Dad's gonna get mad, or or Jesus is gonna be mad at me, and and those kind of things. And so when I I specifically remember that repentance is not, it's not just say, oh, so I gotta say no, just can't, just can't do that. I'm just gonna get in trouble, or it's not just not doing it. It's it's not doing it, but it is turning my back and sprinting from it. And anything that will that takes me close back to that, which is when I understood that I was like, okay, this is uh this is it's not a little bit more involved, but it's, it's say, deeper. It it's deeper. It's yeah. more it 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 requires more of me. It's not just a simply, ah, oh, you know, man, drop the ball on this one. I, let me let me repent to you. Let me let me say I'm sorry. And I guess that's kind of where I got the Well, idea. yeah, we've used repent and confess As, interchangeably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they yeah. mean two totally different things. And when I heard that fifth it was fifth or sixth grade, when I heard that teacher tell me that, I was like, okay, I'm not doing this with my sin, and this is different. This is something very different. And so what Hebrews lays out is that Abraham knew that God had said Isaac's the man. And so Hebrews lets us into what's going on in Abraham's mind and says that um, he considered, he, Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So here's what Abraham's thinking. When God came and said, I need you to go kill Isaac. Abraham knows that God's already said, Isaac is the kid who the promise is coming from. So he has faith that, okay, if I kill him, God's going to just raise him from the dead. That's awesome. Because That's he believed great. what God said. He, he didn't understand it fully because God didn't do that. But in his mind, he's like, God's already promised me that this is the child of promise. This is the one. So somehow God's going to raise him from the dead. Which so is, that's cool. Which is something that we can cling to because I don't have to understand it to believe it. Oh, absolutely because, not. Because in my, and it could just be a male thing, in my head, I've got I've got to wrap my head around it before, I'm, before I hop on that train. I've got to completely wrap my brain around it. I've got to have a grasp on it until I am, I, because before I am sold. I, I, that's, no, be careful there. Be careful because I, none of us have our mind wrapped around God. Well, that's, that's you know, I, that's, and, that's, and so I, I don't have my mind wrapped that's around what I'm all saying. of that. Like, with, in, you know, in my in my in my pride or whatever, like that's what. Oh, I, I want it to be that exactly. way. Yes, that's okay, how, gotcha. Yeah. I want God to discuss the the whole redemptive plan with me. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I want to. I got to have this figured out. You know, like yeah. I've got to do this. But I want to give some <laughs> input, God. That's <laughs> my expert opinion. I don't know why you didn't wait and consult me, but you know, I mean, and Abraham didn't understand it fully before. He, he before he's fully believing, and it's like again, Matt, your life's got to look like that. Like listener, your life's got to look like that as a believer. That you may not understand it fully. That diagnosis, that whatever, the, uh, why good things happen, why bad things happen. I may not understand that fully, but I believe in who Jesus is through what He's on the cross and through the truth of the gospel and the truth of the Word of God, and I believe that, even though I don't, I don't, I may not understand it. So here, here we've got from Abraham. Hebrews lets us know what he's thinking. He's thinking, God's already told me that Isaac is the guy that the promise is coming from. So if God, who has already made my old woman wife, who's already gone through menopause, get pregnant. Who destroyed a city, right? Just because he's, because, because he can. Right. So at this point, Abraham's like, okay, if, if he wants me to kill him, he does. So let's shift gears here a little bit. 
Isaac, somewhere we've agreed is 20 to 37. Dad says, come on, let's go. Hey, Dad, <laughs> we got the wood. Dad, uh... We got the fire. Where's the sacrifice? I think they took a goat with them just for, you know. Yeah, you would think that Abraham would be like, oh, yeah, it's, it's in the cooler. Yeah, we'll, we'll stop it. It's we'll, in the Yeti. We'll get one on the way. They, we'll stop they, at the Dollar General on the way there. <laughs> You know there's one on oh, the way. Oh, they have one. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I mean, at the bottom, midway up, you know, at the top. It, there's <laughs> every five miles up the yes, mountain, there, there was, was one. one. There was one. Um, but, uh, you know, you wonder, did he take a goat with him? No, I mean, he didn't because otherwise Isaac wouldn't be asking. Right. It says um, that Abraham said to his young son, stay here with the donkey and— uh, uh, or to the young men, say here with the donkey, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac his son, mm-hmm. and he took his in, in his hand the fire and the knife so that they were both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, my father, and he said, here am I, my son. And he said, <laughs> hey, look, behold, look, look, um, the fire and the wood, but where's, where's, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And and Abraham, so clearly Isaac knows something's up. Something's yeah. up. Well, I guess that but, might be you know, easier. He may be, though. He may be thinking, though, he's waiting. His dad is going to believe that God is going to miraculously provide. Well, do, I, do you think there was any concept in, in his brain at that time that he was the intended sacrifice at that moment? Well, it's, it, again, I have no way of saying, but I would hope that maybe even Abraham learned from Lot's mistake of not passing on that faith, that that belief, not teaching his family about that, that right. Abraham was, was going to do Isaac that to Isaac. Had, Isaac yeah. I, I would hope if Isaac's the promised one, that Abraham has 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 kind of not necessarily preached that to him, but showed him, hey, this is, what, this is who God is. This is how I've dealt with him. This is how... Taught him, nurtured him. Exactly. Yeah. So maybe if Isaac heard that, man, they're on the same wavelength that Abraham Abraham might have just told him, like, look, this is what God's saying, and we're going to follow him because we believe in him. We trust him. I'm not, I don't know what happened, but I'm just saying. I got to say, I'm willing to go to church with Dad, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he was. Hey, why are we building an altar again, Dad? <laughs> what, what, what we got going on here? And, and why are you binding my hands? Right? I mean, well, and if Abraham is a hundred and Isaac is twenty to thirty-seven, Abraham ain't binding him without Isaac agreeing. I'm just saying. So you say the faith of two men? You do. You have to. There has yes. to be some faith on Isaac's part here, and I don't want to overreach that. But I think that there has to be some faith in Isaac here because otherwise, if. Uh, In law enforcement, there's a thing that's called the onion field principle that comes from a a terrible, terrible situation that occurred uh, in California where um, two men uh, pointed their firearms at, like we've seen in a hundred TV shows, drop your guns. The policemen dropped their guns and they were, these men took them out to an onion, this huge onion farm, uh, in California and executed both officers in horrific ways. And so the, there's a principle called the onion field principle that, uh, actually happens in law enforcement. Unlike every movie you've ever seen, if somebody points their gun at you and says, drop your gun, you don't give your gun up because it, the moment you don't have any power, you're going to die. So you better die fighting. And so I, it always amazes me how every TV the police show officer on always Earth, lays it down. He just <laughs> drops it. Or drops it, which anybody who's ever worked around firearms is like, don't no, do that. No, don't, don't do that either. We drop it, yeah. we kick it over, and then we just talk it out. I've, I've seen like, one I, movie no in my way. life where the guy goes, Hey man, these things are expensive. I'm, why don't I just set it down? <laughs> <laughs> so, my point is, is that Isaac here is—he is, has to know that something's up. Well, and I guess because of the the flannel graph idea. Uh, most, maybe I not really all. cannot believe we keep going to the flannel graph. Well, I mean, this, at, at this point, it's just a theme. I know. Yeah. You yes. think he, you think he's eight? You think he's yeah. nine? And so, I, and in my head, and maybe, and maybe in listener in your head, you're thinking, oh yeah, you know, he's just blindly going along. But at twenty, okay, to but 30, what does that do mentally to an eight-year-old child? Oh, I mean, oh, that, I mean, I don't know if you've ever read the the biblical fictions like the Red Tent. Um, they that series has Isaac essentially as a madman the rest of his life because he has PTSD from the knife being stretched over his head and his dad about to come down with it. Um, Same. I mean, that, yeah. I, 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 I feel, I, I'm, I, we're all shrugging here. Going, so yeah. I, guess, I guess looking at that deeper and seeing that he's twenty to thirty, he's twenty to forty years old. It's okay. This. It, it, cha- it changes in my head, and again, the whole purpose of this series that we're walking through, you understand and see 
clearer and on a deeper level of what's really going on in the story. He's not nine. Right. And God is exercising, literally exercising the faith of both men. Right. So Abraham, when he said, hey, Dad, where's the, where, where, where's the lamb? Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And oh, so, wow. Yeah. Um, now, in the, in the King James, it says God will provide himself a lamb. And I've heard that preached, uh, that God is saying God will provide himself as the lamb. That's not, not what he's saying. That's, that's definitely overreached linguistically. That's, that's emotional manipulation. Mm-hmm. But what he is saying is powerful enough. We don't have yeah. to water it down. Yeah. That God's going to provide for himself. Which, again, comes back to what we said, you know, when we were laughing about the fact that I really, as God is coming up with a plan of redemption, I'd, I'd like him to sit down and discuss it with me. <laughs> that um, God knows what he's doing. I would say, uh, well, I, I used to have an exercise that I did uh, and still do whenever I'm, I'm witnessing to folks is getting other people to share their testimony. And it's amazed me how often folks from the South's testimony is really almost the same. Mama made me go to church when I, from the time I was born. At six, seven, nine, I had this this experience where I, I felt the conviction of the Lord. I walked down the aisle and uh, I got baptized. But when I was 16, 23, um, I had a crisis of faith. And I remember the person would say, I remember um, the, the Holy Spirit working on me and me making, asking myself, am I, if I'm really, am I really buying this? Am I, am I going to, is this me or is this what my mama taught me? Is this me or what, what the preacher always said? Am I really believing this? And I would say uh, it's not uncommon for folks in their, as they get older, maybe in their 30s, to have, again, a crisis of faith where they're like, okay, here, now my kids are coming up. Now the stakes are higher. That's what I was going to say. I've seen a lot of that. And Donna, you consider this as ministering to women and with, you know, families and stuff that when you have, and I don't have any kids, but I've with friends who have, or, or, or whatever that when they have, all of a sudden you have a, you have that first kid or you, you're starting a family and it's like, absolutely. Hold on. This is, oh man, I really gotta, I gotta get as a Southerner, as Southerner, oh, I gotta, get, I gotta get my life together. I gotta, I, I, <laughs> I gotta get these kids in church. <laughs> I gotta get these kids in but, church. Uh, but that's a, a a crisis that new not panic but just a, a new thing that you a new important responsibility you're like okay this is well that next stage in life yeah, yeah so yeah. like you're coming out of those teenage years and early 20s where we all know the world's about us right i right, mean yeah. you're the center of the universe kind of yeah, thing sure. that you know everybody feels that way you go through and you know i've got one that's uh, right now i've got one that's going to be graduating this week as we record this this podcast and everything in the world right now and 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 I don't have a lot of complaints for him, but just that I see it in general. I've already had one to graduate, got one about to do so. The world revolves around them, their schedule. It doesn't matter. You know, they're they're kind of doing their own thing. We know that twenty early 20-somethings walk away from the church very often, even after being raised in the church. You know, even getting them to church at that point, you know, guilt manipulation is, you know, the things that you've tried to teach them. A large number of kids, but when they begin to, um, as we say, start their life, whether it's their job, there they get through with college they start to get married and have kids all of a sudden they begin to see that there's something more to life than just making money getting together with friends and having fun that that there's something deeper that they begin to search and you and I just had a conversation Matt yesterday we were talking about speaking to those kids um that universal search for something um I, I I would start it you know, very often say you're searching for truth. Well, and we were talking in context of like seniors graduating because mm-hmm. it's so, because for four years it's been this club or this circle of friends or this mm-hmm. sport or this these things that the school provided. And then sometimes you go to college and those things aren't there anymore, and it's like everything gets ripped out from under it's, you, yeah, it's and like, you start over again. Hold yeah. on. You know, I've got now. I've got to find a new career path that I may or may not know. So I don't really know what I'm clinging to there. I've got to, who are my friends? My, yeah, my friend circle What's my splits social up. Circle? I'm away from you know, mom and dad in some exactly, cases. Yeah. You know, I'm, like you said, a lot of things that have been a state, a state, a a strong point, a staple in my life for X amount of years. Now, for the next two to four, 
or longer, it's like, okay, things are a lot different now. Right. So mom and dad, you build that foundation yeah. with them or you make every effort to do so, which is going to include gathering with the body. We call it church attendance, but you're gathering with other like-minded believers. You're doing all of those things. And we know all the statistics. We've heard them over and over again about you walk away. And I remember in my 20s beginning to question things like, and you were talking about each of those crises of faith. Um, I remember in my 20s wondering, is this all there is? I was a stay-at-home mom, had two kids, another one on the way. Um, and I remember thinking, it's just a vicious circle. Mm. Like, I just, I, I grew up, I have kids, they grow up, they have kids. What is the meaning behind all of this? What is the purpose in me being here? What what am I doing with my time and with my life? And then looking to God for those answers, because there is nothing on the earth that can answer that. Right. It's all temporary. It's all meaningless. I mean, you know, we jump into Solomon's writings. Yeah, you vanity, know, vanity. Exactly. You know, and you read th- that. That may be a great Bible study for our yeah. college age, yeah. you know, um, because as they in those early married years, because you feel like, I mean, you're changing diapers and spit up and throw up and. All of that sort of thing that leaves you feeling hollow at a lot of times if you're not doing it to the glory of God and to something that's greater. So, absolutely. And I think that the, the issue that, that I, Abraham is dealing with here is it, it's all about his faith. Does he trust that God is going to do what he said he would do? Right. And I would say that as we each have those crises of faith, as we go, th- go through those steps in our, our life, we have to recognize the fact that it's God who's doing the saving. And so um, in our, our own lives that are dependent, and we've said this in here before, one of the things that the stories in the Old Testament really show us well is that any independence we think we have is a fiction that yeah, we're absolutely. telling ourselves. Yeah. Um, so... Abraham builds the altar, lays the wood in order, binds Isaac, his son, lays him on the altar on top of the wood. He reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. So here the knife is in the air. The sunlight is glitting off of it. Isaac is saying, wow, we really didn't bring a lamb. (laughs) Uh, And then just as he is coming down with the knife, um, an angel cries out and says, uh, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, there was a ram caught in the thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, uh, the Lord will provide, or the Lord will see, which, by the way, is the same name that we used that Hagar called the place of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and so God did provide for himself a sacrifice. Now, we, we said, and we, in, the, in the few minutes we have left, um, God the Father would not withhold the knife falling. When it came down to it, this is a beautiful picture of the fact that the Father, Father God, the first person of the Trinity, Uh, did allow our sins to be poured out on Christ on the cross, and he allowed him to die. Um, And so this is, again, a beautiful analogy, a beautiful picture of the coming cross. It is a beautiful picture of what faith is. It's faith. We always teach in the church and act like faith is just believing something really hard. If you yes. just had faith, yeah. you know, I will believe, I will believe. And, and in reality, faith is an action verb. It's, it's belief in action. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, which is defining faith, um, it, it can't do it through words. In fact, you know, Hebrews 11 starts out, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, which is almost word salad. Evidence, that's, that's stuff you can put in a bag. But you can't see it. Yeah. Yeah. And the so 
he recognizing that the author of Hebrews then goes on and, and for a full chapter just gives examples. He's like, okay, let me, I can't explain it by saying, and this is one of those examples. And so here Abraham doesn't understand what God's going to do. He doesn't know how the picture's going to end. He's come up with an idea where, okay, so God has, he knows that God has said Isaac is the child of promise. So he knows what it's not going to end with because he believes God is with a bear, with a burn up son. He didn't know how it's going to work out. He doesn't know. But he acts on that. So we're, what faith looks like in my life isn't sitting down saying, I'll believe, I will believe, I will believe, I will believe, I will believe over and over again. What faith looks like is someone has done me wrong. I'm angry about it. I don't see how I can get over it. But I just trust that somehow God's going to work this out, and I do what he said, told me to do. And I pray for them, and I bless them who curse me. I don't like it. I'm not super happy about it, Mm. but I do it when I'm at the mall, and I, 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 I... I'm, or she and she, or I don't have to be the mall, but I'm sharing my faith. Or I'm obeying the commands of God even when it doesn't feel like that's right. I do what the Word tells me to do anyway. That's faith. Faith is believing that somehow God's going to work this out somehow and doing what he said he was going to do. And, and, and I've said this before, and I don't think it's just me, but in a Western context, crisis of faith to me, aren't difficult. And I, don't, I, don't, I really don't think to our listeners that it is. So when something big happens, there's a car wreck and somebody's about to die. I've never been at the hospital when someone's child is in the ER and had to beg people to pray. Never ha- happened. Um, those big crisis moments, we know to turn to God, at least in this generation. Maybe in the next generation that won't be true. We have to, we, we, we'll, we'll have to fight that, that battle. Mm-hmm. But right now that's not the case. Where people's faith wears down and dies is in the day after day after day after day after day after day after day. When my marriage doesn't seem fun and exciting, and that pretty little thing sitting across from me in the office does seem fun and exciting. Yeah. I don't like the way it's going to work out. I don't understand what's happening, but I'm going to do what God told me to do anyway. And that's just one example of a thousand different places where we have to guard against our conscience when it's running our mouths, when we should keep our mouths shut, putting people down when we should be building them up, when it's, uh, oh, doing what my boss tells me to do when I don't like it. Uh, I mean, there, I, I, I wouldn't really cry the faith, but last year when the elders came back and said, uh, we don't think we should do VBS. I had to take a minute before I responded to that in email because I was re- really ready to say, um, "Well, let's let's revote on this." <laughs> and 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 I knew I knew what buttons I could push in their hearts. So really, are just willing to sacrifice the souls of these little children <laughs> um, to get to change a vote to to go my way. I, I knew I I could. No offense to to you guys, the elders. I could probably pretty easily do that. Where they're going to say, well, yeah, if you just put it that way, we'll go ahead and do it. And I wanted to do that. But you know what? I'm a person under authority, and I need to do what I'm told to do. And trust that God can protect me from other things by being obedient and resting in his sovereignty and all, all of that stuff. I don't want to do it. I don't like it. But to me, those thousand little decisions from week to week to week can either be a thousand paper cuts that kill me or a thousand places of blessing. It's just how I choose whether I choose to do what I don't like and what I don't understand or whether I choose to do it my way. And something, just to follow up on the whole VBS thing, as crazy as that was, we didn't know, I say we as a staff and as a, and even as like just church leadership in general, elders, all that, we didn't know how that was going to work of not doing VBS. Because that's, that's one of the biggest seven-day stretches of our church calendar. I mean, it's Seven huge. days and nothing. Are you kidding? We're, what, six weeks Se- out? And seven days. I'm already started training. Seven days of programming. I'm glad it's only a few days Se- for you, Matt. Seven days of programming. <laughs> it, it, it's the biggest... It's the biggest six years of our calendar, however long it takes. <laughs> we missed you, son. You the work. Just saying. Just saying. Um, it was... 
we had no idea how that was going to happen or, or what was going to go down. But then our media team and all those people came together and made that as unique and as fun and as as is entertaining is not the right word it, it, it captured our attention it held our attention uh in in the video format and the online format that i think we could have done and considering all circumstances you know due to covid and whatnot it was i, I thought absolutely as fantastic as fantastic could get um yeah i mean of course this subject is a particular near and dear to my heart yeah. you know so, um and as we went through it and as tom was talking about it and introducing the topic today and it, as we're sitting here what's going through my mind is i think that probably only in eternity will we know what difference that made yeah. or how it reached somebody because i would have random people who would text me and say you know my grandchildren in so-and-so are enjoying this vbs mm -hmm. you know whereas had we done it here it would have been a smaller reach i mean even though it had been a lot of kids and in person and we don't want to forego that at any time yeah, that yeah, we yeah. can but during the pandemic when things were kind of up in the air and you know all of the we don't want to endanger anybody ever ever you all know the, all that but seeing that god knew exactly what he was but doing. god knew what he was doing for sure yeah and he knew what was coming and he was coming down the pike and whether it was something that we particularly wanted or liked you know um i mean a person, Tom, you spoke about a person being under authority, but Abraham and Isaac today, even what we're talking about, it's a person under authority. Oh, Ultimately, absolutely. they're under God's authority. I'm under your authority uh, and the elder's authority. And, you know, we each have that. And one of the things that um, in parenting in particular that uh, that I will typically talk about when I'm ta discussing parenting things, you know, with our families is we point out that the early years of learning for a child, learning to be under authority, when I say don't do that and I don't have to give you an answer for that because I said so, you know, was what right. mom and dad says mm. because I said so. But what you're teaching them then and there is how to how to work and be under authority. You're breaking that independent spirit and pride to say God ultimately controls and is in charge of me. Mom and dad are not people out from under authority. There is no point in our life, but we we fight and battle against that our whole lives it's it's like you know you go through spells of it i know where it's worse than others but you, you know it's kind of like ramming that head and it's uh, against a brick wall you know i'm constantly fighting against the authority and we see it in our kids we see it in our teens but it, it, it's not and i think that one of the things that oftentimes will leave me a little bit um anxious um when i see it within a family is you know it's cute at six but at 16 it's not and it's done. Yeah. You've taught them. By the time they hit 16, you're not going to correct this right before they learn to drive or when they're in their freshman year of high school. You're not going to teach them then. If you haven't done it when they're younger, and we see that in Abraham and Isaac's story, there's been that that father and son and that teaching of, of God that has happened at some point as they walk through this story. That's an underlying narrative that's happened in this story prior to what we see happening with them today. And it's something that we can learn from even as we parent and go along with our children. You know, you can't wait till they're bigger than you or stronger than you or you know or if they never get bigger than you the point is is their heart has to be molded and turned towards god and, mm -hmm. and be being able and willing to accept him and surrender yes absolutely well um I, this has always been one of my favorite stories and uh next week we'll be looking at isaac and rebecca and uh i like that one Yes, that's that's some good stuff. So <laughs> it's a girl story. It's a very romantic story, <laughs> very sweet. Poor Leah kind of gets. Uh, oh well, there's that. But <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, this has been not another church podcast. I'm I'm glad you joined us and go serve your king. This has been not another church podcast with your host, Pastor Tom. Thanks for listening and go serve your king. <laughs>